Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, those of you that are watching online. Uh, Yesterday was a really fun day. It's been good to have Westside Baptist uh, from Jacksonville with us and serving alongside of us. And uh, yesterday we had such a good time in that beautiful fall weather, 95 degrees. It was awesome, absolutely. Uh, But thank you for praying. Many of you gave, you served. And the beautiful thing is we get to do it again next week in a community that it will be the very first event we've ever done in the Willows community, and it's going to be in the 70s. And so just another, it'll actually feel like a pumpkin party next weekend. Uh, And so, but thank you guys. It was a really good day. And we're going to throw some pictures out on social media. And so you'll get a chance to see a little bit of what was going on in both uh, of the, the events in the different areas that we were in. Uh, this morning, when you uh, prepare to go to church, just like when I prepared to go to church this morning, uh, you probably made countless small, really ordinary decisions. So for instance, when I, when I on Sunday mornings, I have a certain time I get up in the morning on Sundays, Uh, I do the exact same thing as I prepare after I get up. I do the exact same thing. We we leave at the exact same time, you know, and we we start making our way here. And then we stop at Starbucks and we order the exact same thing we order every single Sunday. And and, and like you, you probably, uh, when you come to church on Sunday, you probably do a lot of similar things. You make you get up at about the same time. You, you, you probably walk through some of the same decisions in the same order. But here's the thing. You don't even think about it. Just like me, I don't think about it. It's just something that I do, and it's just I know the next thing I'm going to do. And, and we're all, all of our lives and our mornings and kind of our routines, we're used to that. We're used to doing the same thing. And really, we don't think about it. We don't think it's a big deal, the decisions we're making. It's just what we do, and we do it just ordinarily and without even really even noticing it, because it's just what we've always done. And, and in some cases, if, if you're like me, you, you can look at your ordinary life and your ordinary decisions, and you, you don't even think about their impact. But for instance... If we were to, if you were to get up at a different time, if you were to go a different direction in your car this morning, if you were to eat something different, you, you may have gotten to a, man, you might be in a whole nother part of our state if you wouldn't have taken that turn that you take every single Sunday that you don't even think about, that's not a big deal, but it really, if you think about it, a lot of those small decisions that we make that aren't a big deal that we don't even think about actually have a pretty big impact. We have a pretty big impact on a lot of our life. 
And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves, and I don't know if you felt this way, but you can find yourself looking at your ordinary life and your ordinary decisions and and looking at it kind of like you live the JV version of life because you see people on social media that are posting stuff and it's like, well, man, I kind of like live the JV version of life. Those are the people that are really like doing some crazy stuff and it seems like they're always happy and, and they always have these big moments. And, and you can almost start to think that your ordinary life, the faithful things that you do aren't really that big of a deal. And if, and if you've ever felt that way, and probably all of us have, every single one of us at some point in our life, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, you've looked at your life and you've compared it to somebody else and you've thought, wow, man, they really do a lot of stuff. Or their life, man, they always seem to have, or, you know, it's always happy. And, and we, even without thinking about it, we kind of compare ourselves and we downplay our ordinary because we see the hype of somebody else's life. And if you've ever felt that way, the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth is a story that you can really lean into. Because the story of Ruth, there was no big miracles. There was no huge, massive explosions and big God moments. It was just some ordinary people walking through the ordinary ups and downs of life, just doing kind of the next right thing, the next faithful thing. And God used that ordinary life to to do some extraordinary things. In fact, one of the lessons that we learned from Ruth's story that we kind of introduced last week is this. Our ordinary decisions are what God uses to do extraordinary work. And we see that all throughout the story of Ruth. And so if you've ever looked at your life and you thought, it's just ordinary. I don't even think about the things I do. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, there are people I see on social media and other people, man, they seem to have a lot more hyped life and they're doing a lot more stuff and it's a lot more important. The story of Ruth is a story that shows us that the ordinary, faithful things that we do that we don't even think about, just following God's leading, can really turn into God doing some extraordinary things. If you were with us last week when we started through the story of Ruth, you know that the story of Ruth was written by a guy by the name of Samuel. It was written towards the end of the 11th century, and if you know any of the history of Israel, you know that there was this, this big time where, and there's movies about this, where, man, Israel was enslaved and Moses comes along. And, and even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably watched a cartoon about this, the Prince of Egypt. And, and you saw how this Moses guy, he kind of rescued and delivered and led the nation of Israel out of slavery. And then they, they come to a, a promised land that God has given them. And And the new leader, Joshua, he leads them into the promised land. And man, life is good. And then life gets bad because people start to do things just however they want to do it. And kind of everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And there's this time period called the time of the judges. That's after their conquest of their land. And it's before King David and and all of the kings that you read about. And kind of right in the middle of that, there's this time that the scriptures call the time of the judges, 
when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And the story of Ruth happens kind of in the middle of that time period when everybody was kind of doing what was right in their own eyes. And, you know, they would follow God for a while and then they would decide not to and they'd follow idols and God would bring judgment on them. And, and then he'd bring a judge to kind of lead them out of, out of judgment and to, to help them with an enemy. And it was just kind of this vicious cycle. And in the midst of that, we meet this lady named Naomi and this lady named Ruth. And both of these ladies, as we heard last week, have lost their husband. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And they've lost their husbands, and they're both widows, and they live in a city called, or an area called Moab. And after they've lost their husbands, and they're kind of not sure what to do next, and life isn't really going good, they decide to move back to Naomi's home area in Bethlehem. And so you find Naomi, who is a very hurt and even bitter woman because God has not kind of done things the way she probably thought God would do in her life, and we can relate with that, some of us. And so she's in a spot where she's lost everything that's important to her. All the relationships, her sons, her husband, they're gone, and now she and her daughter-in-law Ruth head back to Bethlehem. And that's kind of where we ended last week. And the story picks up in Ruth chapter 2. And we're back in Bethlehem. And God brings another person into the story by the name of Boaz. And look with me at Ruth chapter 2 as we kind of pick up the story. It'll be up on the screen. You can find it in the CityWalk app as well. It says this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. So Boaz is a relative of Naomi's husband who's passed away. He's a guy that in Bethlehem is a prominent guy, probably a wealthy guy, probably a very influential guy. And, and we kind of get into the story and we get introduced to this guy, Boaz, who will become very important through the rest of the story. And it says this in, in verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. And so in this kind of setting and in this time period, if you were a widow and your daughter-in-law was a widow... Man, it was hard to pay the bills. It was hard to get food. It was just a different society than we have now. And it was just, it was tough. But back in this time period, what the, the Mosaic law had taught is for people that were farmers and had fields and harvesters, the Mosaic law said that, hey, when you harvest your wheat, your grain, whatever you're harvesting... You have to leave the edges of your field alone. You can't harvest those kind of corners of your field. And then as you're harvesting, if stuff falls to the ground, you leave it. And the reason that they would leave it on the ground and they wouldn't do anything with the corners of their field was that was for poor people could then come along and kind of get food and get enough for their family. It was kind of one of their ways to help people like Naomi and Ruth. 
And so Ruth, she's back in Bethlehem with Naomi. She's kind of the, obviously the younger of the two. And so she says, hey, Naomi, mom, uh, I'm going to go and just kind of find a, a random field and see if maybe they'll let me be one of the p- poor people that follows. And, and maybe we'll get some food out of this thing. And, and Naomi doesn't have a lot of other options. So she says, hey, go ahead and do it. And so that's what happens. And so it says this in verse 3. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. And so Ruth is doing just what is good and helpful with her day. She she chooses what in her mind is a random field. She's not from this area. She doesn't know who's important. She doesn't know who's related to, to who. She's just out and she, in her mind, picks a random field that she happened to get into to try to gather grain. And here's the beautiful thing. This is an awesome picture of what we would call in kind of Bible terms, God's sovereignty. And the idea of God's sovereignty is this, that God is in charge and in control. Like nothing comes into God's, there's no happen to in God's kind of world. It's not like, oh, I didn't see that coming or wow, okay, well, I guess she chose a good field. No, for Ruth, this was just a, hey, we're, we're going to choose a random field and I happen to come to Boaz's field, but in God's sovereignty and his control and his being in charge of everything, he was literally leading Ruth to where he wanted Ruth to go. All Ruth was doing was just doing the ordinary things that she probably didn't think was a big deal. I like how Chip Ingram, he says it this way when he talks about God's sovereignty. He says, God's sovereignty means that there isn't anything that will enter your life that God doesn't either decree or allow. And nothing will ever enter your life that if you are willing to trust in him, he cannot work out for your good. And this is what we're about to see play out in Ruth's life. Ruth's just going about her normal day. She's doing just what she thinks is the next right thing. She chooses a random field to go hopefully find some favor with the owner and be able to get some food together for her and for Naomi. And it says this in verse 4. It says, Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, uh, who was in charge of the harvesters, maybe kind of like the foreman. He said, Hey, who's this young, who's this young woman? Like, and we start to see a little bit about Boaz's character because he knew his workers. He wasn't just this boss that's like, oh, we're going to kind of do, you know, I'm going to do my thing. All my people just do their thing. I could care less about you personally. You just work for me. He, he knew he could tell like, oh, there's somebody here that hasn't been here before. Who's this, who's this woman? And, and, and the servant answers and says, she's a young Moab, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. And so this isn't a huge city. And so Boaz, he may have heard like, oh yeah, Naomi's back in town and she brought somebody with her. It's because it seems like they, they, they've heard of this. Uh, you know, the, the Moabite woman that, that has come back with Naomi, this is, this is her. 
And it goes on and it says this. The, the foreman, he's kind of talking to Boaz, says, She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except, she has, except that she rested a little in the shelter. And so this foreman, he's kind of just telling, Hey, Boaz, this, yeah, this girl, she's been here all day. She's, man, she has been working hard. She's been on her feet since morning. She's already showing herself to be this diligent, just hardworking, just, just doing it. And, and, and Ruth is, again, she is not aware what God is doing around her. She's just using her day to do the right thing in the right way. She doesn't know the end of the story yet. She just knows this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be diligent. I think sometimes, and, and Ruth is a good example of someone that's willing to do the ordinary before the extraordinary. I think sometimes in our society, we are tempted to ask God to do the extraordinary when we're unwilling to do the ordinary first. And that's usually not how God works. Peter had to get out of the boat before he walked on the water. David had to take care of sheep all by himself, lonely, all by himself before, years before he would kill Goliath and become king. The, the little boy that even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard about him, the, the little boy that that. that God, uh, Jesus used his little lunch to feed 5,000 people. This, this little boy had to give Jesus his little lunch before he got to see 5,000 people at least get fed. See, God, he, he seems to use our ordinary in his process of doing the extraordinary. And we, we're going to see that play out. See, God uses Ruth's ordinary decision to work diligently to literally orchestrate blessings that you and I are still feeling today. That because Ruth was willing to go to a random field and to work hard, and, and as you see the story unfold, you'll notice that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, are still being blessed because of how God uses Ruth. The story goes on. So Ruth's there, she's working, and, and so Boaz, he's, he notices her, he finds out a little bit about her, and now you see Boaz start to interact with Ruth. And Boaz is probably uh, at least a decade older than Ruth. I mean, he's old, a little bit older than Ruth, he's not exactly her age. And it says this, then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. And so what Boaz does is he sees this, this girl working hard and and instead of her having to kind of go find a different field every day, and, and instead of her having to walk a long way to find a well to even get a drink of water in her day, Boaz says, "Don't hey, you, you can come here every day. You're, you're welcome to, to get grain. You're welcome to, 
to get some stuff here every single day. And in fact, don't go off to the well to, to get water. My, my guys are going to have water. You can, you can partake in, in their water. In fact, and I'm going to tell because it wasn't a super safe thing. They're, they're a lady by herself amongst these kind of farmers and the, the people that were the type of people that were involved in all this. It wasn't always a safe thing for a, a lady. And so Boaz, not only was he going to provide some water, not only was he going to just let her work right there, but he, he told his guys, don't, don't touch her. Leave her alone. Make it easy for her. It says this and in verse 10, you kind of see Ruth's response and you can tell by her response how radical what Boaz is doing is in this time period. Like the graciousness that he's showing her isn't normal. It should have been, but it wasn't in this day. Look at her response. It says she, she literally fell face down, toward, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me although I am a foreigner? The, the kind, basically, she's saying, the kindness that you are showing me is over the top. Like, I'm a poor person who would normally be looked down on. And if, if that wasn't bad enough, I, I'm a foreigner. Uh, I, I come from a country that your country actually doesn't like is, and is usually in conflict with. And yet, uh, you're, being, you're treating me so well. You're being so kind to me. You're giving me favor. You're, you're so generous. You shouldn't be. Why? And as I was reading this, I thought, is there a better question that a Jesus follower could hear from somebody? I mean, is there a better question than why are you being so kind and generous to me? Like, what a powerful question that would be to hear. Why are you being so kind to me? You're, you're so generous to me. It's over the top. What? Like, like blowing people's mind with kindness and generosity. I, I love when, like, we're at the, the pumpkin party yesterday, and this summer when we were doing sports camp and planting churches in new cities and, and showing up to neighborhoods and hiring Kona Ice to just give out free Kona Ice to the whole neighborhood. I love, and I've had this happen to me before, and some of you have as well. I love it when somebody comes up and they, they, they want to know the agenda. Like, why are you doing this? No one is kind like this. No one gives away free stuff. You, there's got to be something. What's the charge? And I love to just look back at them and say, you know what? Nothing. Like, I'm actually going to get a free cone of ice too. I'm pretty excited about that. Why did you come to my neighborhood and put on this? We had people yesterday, like, how much do I pay? What do we charge? Nothing. We just got a bunch of generous people in our church that just want you to know you're loved and hope your family has a great day today. And that question, I mean, what, what, how powerful would that be if the person you work with just, if your reputation was, man, she is so over-the-top kind and generous I feel like she probably has an agenda, but she doesn't. Why is she so kind? Or, or what if you, your, your, your neighbor, what if you, that's what you were known for in your neighborhood? What if that was the question your neighbors were asking? Like, why is that family just so kind to everyone? Why are they so generous? They must have an agenda. And that's where Ruth is. She's asking Boaz, like, 
what's the agenda? This is ridiculous. How kind you're being, how generous, how much favor you're showing to me. And, and, and he tells her, he says, let, let me tell you a little bit of why I'm doing this. It says, Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. And then Boaz says this, he says, because of your loyalty, because of your commitment, because of the reputation that you didn't even know was spreading, but you're just known for this already, Ruth? He says, may the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And here's what Boaz is saying. He's saying, I'm praying that you get back as much as you gave up. That your reward is a, like you've given up so much. And, and the reward he's talking about, he's praying, I hope that you get back and God compensates you and blesses you to the level that you've blessed your mother-in-law. And again, think about Ruth. If, if, and, and you might be in this kind of situation. Ruth is just now at a spot where she's just begun following the God of Israel. She's probably days away from when she said to Naomi, hey, from now on, your God is going to be my God. And so she's just getting to know the God of Israel that Naomi and Boaz worship, that Boaz is praying to. And Boaz is saying, I'm praying that the God of Israel would bless you, would reward you, would protect you, that he would be refuge for you. It's a powerful prayer. And then he goes on, verse 13. Look, if you look at the, the screen or the app, you'll see your Bible. He says, my Lord, she, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip Dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvester to, harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Normally someone like Ruth would have to fend for themselves as it relates to food. And that would probably mean that she wouldn't eat. And Boaz, and again, it's hard for you and I to understand this unless we lived in this culture like to be invited literally to Boaz's table and to eat with his team and to have full access to all the food, that's just not normal. This is another like over the top thing. And Boaz says, hey, don't, don't worry about food. Just you, you come sit right here. We got a chair for you. And probably actually wasn't a chair. They probably sat on the floor on maybe a pillow. But hey, you got a spot at our table. You, you got a spot at our table. And man, hey, my food is your food. You, you, don't worry about going and finding food. And then it says this, and I love this part of it. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some of the stocks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. Basically, Boaz is like, I want you to make it rain grain for our girl, Ruth. I, I don't want her to be following you boys and picking up what you dropped. I want you actually to take some of the stuff that you're picking up and I want you to put it in her 
pack. Like, make sure this girl leaves with a lot of grain. And don't make her feel bad. Don't, don't make her feel ashamed. Like, be a blessing to her. And so that's what happens. And, and listen to what, uh, what happens. And when she gets home to uh, see Naomi, her reaction. It says this in verse 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was 26 quarts of barley. So what she got just on day one was enough to feed a person for several weeks, which is, again, abnormal. So she picks up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she said to her, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless, or may the Lord bless the man who noticed you. I mean, Naomi's like, girl, you, you hit the lottery today. I don't know where you went or what you did, but it worked. And, and, and she goes on, and Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And so Ruth, again, Ruth's probably not a farmer. She doesn't even know really what she's like. Is this like a normal to get this much in day, the day that I'm here? She doesn't under, probably even understand. But Naomi, when she sees her, she's like, goodness, man, go whoever gave you all this. We, like, they're getting a Christmas card this year. Good for them. There was like surprise and excitement. And verse 20 says this. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. And she's basically saying, this guy Boaz has honored us and he's also honored our husbands who have died by being so gracious to you. See, Naomi, who if you were read through Ruth 1 just days earlier, entered Bethlehem bitter hurt, hopeless, not understanding what God was doing. And in this moment, you see a little transition that starts to spark in her soul. You start to see that Naomi is noticing that God is at work. She's starting to see God's kindness in the midst of what has been a pretty tragic story for her. And also what she's beginning to see that Ruth is probably clueless about, she's beginning to see that God might be up to something even bigger in this moment. And she gives, and again, Ruth's new to this, so she's not probably putting two and two together yet, but Naomi, she's a pretty perceptive lady. She's starting to put two and two together about who Boaz is, and Boaz is single, and oh, well, Ruth, you're single, and, and she starts to put some things together here. Look, look, what, look what she says the rest of the uh, chapter. It says, Naomi continued... The man, this guy Boaz, Ruth, by the way, is a close relative, which sounds weird, uh, but we're not in Alabama, so you're allowed to in Israel, I guess. This man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. So what's a family redeemer? So here's what would happen back in this time period. Having a son who would carry on your name was a really big deal. And so if a husband were to die, uh, and this may be a little like sick to you to think about, but if the husband were to die, if he had a brother, that brother was to marry the wife 
and basically have a kid, but it be like his brother's kid. So it would carry on his brother's name and kind of family. And so if there wasn't a brother, then they had, there were people called family redeemers who would, hey, if, if someone had died and they had lost land, that person would buy back the land because the land was really important to families. So it would buy back land for that family so that family's land would stay in their family. But then also he would marry widows to continue the line. And so what Naomi's saying, and I don't, under, I don't know if Ruth understands it yet, is, hey, by the way, Boaz is kind of in the line of one of our family redeemers, hint, hint. And, and, and so she's just starting to put a few things together. And, and it says this in verse 21, it says, Ruth, the Moabitess said, he also told me, again, she seems like she's not getting it, uh, Stay with my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So, oh, well, mom, he actually already told me to come back tomorrow. And he actually said I could stay there for the whole two months of the harvest. I bet he did. She's probably Naomi saying. Uh, and, and so verse 22 says this. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. And then verse 23, Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth, she just went back the next day. And she continued to do the right thing, the right way, day after day after day. And whether you're with us this morning live or you're watching, maybe you're listening to this on a podcast, even if if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, whether you do or not, the story of Ruth should intrigue you. No, No matter where you are as it relates to faith, the story of Ruth should intrigue and encourage you. Because we we live in a culture that values influencers, it values big moments. It values lives that seem to look perfect, but God sees things differently, and God values things that the world doesn't always value. See, your ordinary life is very important to God. The decisions you make that seem insignificant to you are very significant to God. The decisions that you make, the, the, the normal day that you have that, that for you is, is just normal, it's what I do every day is a strategic part of God's plan for his kingdom. And in the midst of this world that, that just values so much of, of big moments, and nothing wrong with big moments, we all want, it's great to have those big moments in life, but, but if we're honest, those big moments aren't what life's made of. It's those ordinary, seemingly insignificant, normal days with normal decisions that really make up our life. And one of the evil one's goals is to confuse us and get us off track. And he does that by trying to get us to value hype over obedience. He he, he tries to to get us to focus on maybe big but fake moments over faithful, real moments. 
And so think if you're the evil one, if you're Satan and you're trying to pull people off of God's best for them. God values faithfulness. He values day by day by day trusting him. But the evil one in his plan is going to try to get us off that track. And he's going to try to get us to compare ourselves to other people's moments and lives and their, the hype of their life instead of the, the faithfulness that God's trying to use. And, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, maybe you're somebody that's just began to follow Jesus and you're beginning to take those first steps, there, there's some great things that we can learn from Ruth's story, and one of the things that we can learn today and kind of lean into is how do we keep God's perspective? How do we keep, you know, what, what's important to God, how can it be important to us? And so that we don't find ourselves off track and looking out here while God's trying to do something in our life right here. Well, there's a couple things as I, was, as I was thinking about this, some practical steps that we can take that I think will help us really lean into God's perspective. And the first one is this. We already talked about it. Remember, God is in charge and in control. God is not surprised by your place in life or my place in life. In fact, he is orchestrating events around us for our good and for his glory. And so it's so important that you and I be where we are. Be where you are. Because that's where God wants you. Sometimes we find ourselves, we, we want to be where somebody else is. And God's saying, I have you in a special place for a special reason. I am sovereign. I am in control. It's not a mistake that you're there. Be there. Be where you are. And it's, it's, we can do that when we trust in God's sovereignty and that he is in charge and in control. But the second thing is this, and I think this helps us too. It's important that we steward the moments in life well. That we, that we don't miss the moment that we're in because we're looking at a moment we hope comes later. That we don't miss the ordinary because we're always looking for the extraordinary. Be faithful today. Follow Ruth's example and do the right thing the right way today. Love the person in front of you today. And this might, let's get real practical. It might mean today I'm going to set my phone down and have a real conversation with my kid. Instead of scrolling through everything and looking up an hour later and how did that time go by so fast, I'm going to set my phone down and I'm going to take advantage of the 10-year-old daughter that I have right next to me today. And I'm going to love her and have conversations with her today. And maybe that's one way. Maybe it's, you know what? I'm going to invite my coworker to church this week. I, I, I got some people around me that I don't think know Jesus, or I, I don't know if they're connected to a church, and so I'm going to, just the person next to me, I'm just going to give them an invite card this week, because that's where I'm at today. I'm not going to sit at my workplace and wish I wasn't there and wish I was somewhere else, because God's put me here. 
So I'm going to take advantage of this moment. I'm going to steward it well. Maybe it's today when we go out to lunch. And there's that waiter and she forgot your drink. And instead of blowing her up, today you're going to be gracious. And, and you're going to, she's going to think, I know I messed up their order. Why are they so gracious to me? Why did they tip me so big even though I blew up their order? Like, why would they do that? And maybe you're just going to take advantage of it today. And now because I said that, I hope I don't get like a hair in my burger at In-N-Out later. Because I'm like, oh, God's like, well, we'll see, Chris. We'll see how you feel, big guy. Uh, I, so, you know, we'll see. I'm definitely checking my burger now that I, that I put that out there. Uh, but I won't go blow up the, the, the person. Uh, but, but, but stuff like that. Maybe it's, and this is something that, that we've begun to do as a family because of the quiet times that our, our church is doing. And if you haven't gotten a quiet time, you can go to the announcement tab, and I think you can still sign up to get one. But, but my daughter, Kate, has the, this quiet time that she uses in the midweek service that we're doing. And, and so each morning, we just sit down for five or ten minutes, and it's like, let's just do our quiet time together. Let's spend some time in God's Word. It's, you know what? That's what we can do today. We can steward the moments that we're in today well. And here's what you'll find, and lean into this, because this is so important. What you'll find is that God seems to use how we steward our moments today to lay the foundation for our lives tomorrow. It's just kind of how God works, and you see it through Scripture. If you talk to somebody who's been following Jesus for a long time, you'll, you'll hear it in their story, how God used the faithful, ordinary, seemingly insignificant things about life, the things that they just did the right thing the right way, just consistently, and God seemed to use that to lay the foundation to something that was pretty extraordinary down the road. And an impact that was way bigger than they ever thought. And it wasn't because they were trying to get there. It was just because they were faithfully stewarding the moments they had today. And God used it to lay the foundation to what he wanted to do in the future. Like what? Think about it. Personalize it. If you're watching online, you're here this morning. What would your life look like over this next week if you applied those two steps? Through the ups and downs of, of what will probably be, for most of us, a pretty ordinary week. What if you remembered that, you know what, God is in charge and he's in control. So I'm not going to complain about where I'm at. I'm not going to wish I was somewhere else. And that doesn't mean you don't try to move and you don't try to improve things. I'm not saying that. But it's that, that contentment. Lord, you have me here today, so I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to do my best where I'm at for you, even if I'd rather be somebody else if I had my choice. What, what if we did? What if this week, in our ordinary week, we just remembered that God is in charge and is in control, and because of that, we focused on being a good steward of the moments that we have. If God's not in charge, and he's not in control, I can see how we would want to get out of the moments we're in. But if we trust that God truly is sovereign, that we're where we're at for a reason, 
then we can kind of set that down and just trust and say, okay, God, because you have me here for a reason, this week I'm going to use my moments for your glory. I'm going to use them well. I'm not going to look past them to something else. I'm going to do what's right the right way this week. And I think if, if we did that, I think our ordinary week would be anything but ordinary. Because I think God would do something in our lives and he would probably do some things in other people's lives even if we didn't know he was doing it. Because it's just how God works. He uses the faithfulness and trust of people who follow his son Jesus as part of his kingdom plan. And it's a beautiful thing that we are privileged to be a part of. Let's pray. As we close, just take some time at the end of our service. We just kind of close in prayer. And, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening to this in, in future days or weeks on a podcast. Well, if you're here or you're listening to this and, and you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm someone who at this point in my life, I don't have a relationship with God. I, I, I know a lot about God. I've maybe even gone to church a few times, but, but I haven't ever made that decision to follow Jesus. And, and if that's you, I'm so thankful that you're here. And today, one of the reasons that God has you here, part of kind of how he sovereignly works in your life, is he wants you to know that he loves you. It's the reason he has you here, or one of the reasons. He, he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he loved you so much that he proved his love to you by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, for your sin. And they took Jesus' body and they took it off the cross. They put it in a grave and Jesus rose from the grave. And, and because of what Jesus did, God offers us a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and you don't have a relationship with God, man, the, the best first step for you would be to start one. And maybe you're like, oh, Chris, how do, what would that even look like? Is that a hard process? What do you have to do? You got to join a church, give some money? No, not, nothing like that at all. It, it's a, a decision that's based on trust. And so just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching, you can just start that relationship right now. Just from your heart to God, just maybe tell, say something like this. Say, God... I admit to you, I've done things my own way. God, I, I admit to you, I've sinned. I've, I've disobeyed you. Just tell God. Just, he knows. But just tell him. Just admit that. And then just in the quietness of your heart, wherever you're at, just say, God, but I believe. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Just tell him. And then just from your heart to God's, just say, God, I, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. I want a relationship with you. Just tell him. Just from your heart to God's.
if you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and as I was praying out loud, if you were talking to God from your heart to God's and you asked God for a relationship, you put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you just did that, man, we would love to know about that. Right in front of you, if you're here with us, there's a little card that says decision. And while the band plays the final song, if you would fill that out, you can put it in the offering basket on your way out or take it to the next steps table. We would love to just know you made that decision. We'll give you a call this week and answer any questions you have. Just you fill that card out. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. And there's a decision card there for you as well. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, I've already made that decision. I already have a relationship with God. Well, let me ask you this, just a personal question. How have you done at being a good steward of the moments in your life this past week? Just think back to this last week. How have you done at stewarding the moments of your life in a way that pleases God this past week. I mean, if we're honest, and I know this is true of me, it is super easy to get distracted. But as we kind of close up our service, we're about we're moving into a new week. And is there something that the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart to do differently? this next week that will help you steward your moments better? Just listen. It's the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit pointing anything out or pricking your heart in any way and is maybe pointing out something to you that you think, you know what, if I need to make a change here and it'll help me better steward the moments of this next week. And if the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart in any way, would you just take a moment and just say yes? Just between you and God, just say yes. Man, the Holy Spirit's pricking my heart about a certain area, something I need to change so that I can better steward this next week. And would you just say yes? The band's going to play a a closing song, and we're going to invite you to sing with us. And And as we close, down front here, we have Glenn and Victoria. If you'd like to pray with someone, if you made a decision for Christ and and you just may want to tell somebody about it, we'd love to rejoice with you. If you have a question uh, that we can help you with, Glenn and Victoria are down front to just serve you in any way that they can. Lord, I thank you for how we're learning from the life of Ruth and Naomi. And God, I pray that this week we wouldn't discount the ordinary, but I pray, God, that we would faithfully walk according to your plan and that we would steward the moments of this week well because we're not guaranteed next week. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. And so, God, help us to number our days and to be faithful with them. In Jesus' name. Amen.